You are listening to Why Can't We Have It All, a podcast focused on exploring the missing pieces in our healthcare system. This podcast is sponsored by Bowtie Medical, an innovative healthcare company that offers integrated virtual healthcare designed to keep you in control of your health and what you spend on it while lowering the cost of healthcare for you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Why Can't We Have It All? The Missing Pieces in Our Healthcare. I'm your host, FD. In today's session, I'd like to examine how the coronavirus pandemic has created a significant change in the way a doctor's office visit is delivered. Right now, many doctor's offices are not conducting in-person visits and have shifted to other means such as video conferencing, messaging, texting, or phone calls to allow their patients to reach to them and deliver their patient care. This expansion in the use of telemedicine has sparked a national conversation, at least among the doctors, uh, about the use and method of payment for telemedicine services. I'd like to discuss this timely topic with Dr. Kelly Buckner. Dr. Buckner and her co-workers have innovated and established processes for delivery of person-centered primary care through a virtual platform. A mouthful, but a fascinating concept. Uh, thank you, Dr. Buckner, for joining us today. My pleasure. Uh, Kelly, in our previous uh, session, you introduced the concept of virtual primary care and helped us to have a better understanding of what primary care is and how the hospital control delivery system has influenced the delivery of primary care. Since that recording, our world has become embroiled in coronavirus pandemic, as the cases of COVID-19, the name of the disease, threatens to overwhelm our healthcare system, our finances, and so forth. The weaknesses of traditional model of healthcare delivery have been put on display, it seems so. Many, if not most outpatient offices have closed and are implemented telemedicine, video conferencing, and so forth in order to continue to meet their patients' needs. Several professional organizations uh, have issued guidelines for their doctor members on how to implement these virtual services, their webinars, and so forth. Even the Center for Medicare Medicaid uh, services has relaxed restrictions on reimbursement for telemedicine so that the doctors can actually uh, receive payment, which is a major shift. Recently, Vice President Mike Pence announced an interstate medical licensing overhaul to make it easier to deliver telemedicine services across all 50 states. When the regulations uh, uh, happens, so any doctor with a licensure in one state could practice telemedicine across 50 states, which is a major uh, change. And I know you are in agreement with me that these are remarkable and historical changes. But the question I am left with is this. Telemedicine, video conferencing, texting is not a new tool. So why has the healthcare system been so slow in adopting these tools until this pandemic forced it? Yeah, I think that there are probably two likely reasons for that. First is, simply put, the elephant in the room, right? Doctors need to get paid. 
for what they do. And nobody likes to talk about it. But in general, up until recently, telemedicine services were largely considered non-covered services. So insurance companies or Medicare, Medicaid, they wouldn't pay a doctor for the time that they spent doing telemedicine. So therefore, they would have to have a physical in-person office visit in order to receive any payment for their time. But I think more importantly, um, it's really more the mindset that has dominated the healthcare system, essentially that the doctor is the one with the knowledge, the patient needs access to that knowledge, so therefore the entire interaction needs to take place between the doctor and the patient. Our method of delivering virtual care breaks down that mindset by creating a process that optimizes the use of the doctor's and the patient's time in order to make the time they do spend together much more valuable. So Kelly, the most common methods uh, currently being used in the telemedicine world is the use of video or a phone or other technologies to replicate what is done during an in-person visit. But what it sounds like you're describing is something entirely different. You're talking about transforming the whole structure of care to a virtual way. It is like transformation of analog to a digital method, like what happened in travel agencies or many other industries like photo industry. Do you remember Kodak? I do remember Kodak, and I remember having to take my canister of film to be developed, but nobody knows about Kodak anymore because they couldn't keep up with the digital changes. So... What you're saying is virtual care could replace an in-person physical visit in many cases. And could you review with me the flow and the process of this in-person visit and how you envision that this virtual method could uh, replace that physical visit? Sure. And yeah, that's essentially what we're saying, that many of the things and services that we do in an office could be replaced with a virtual process. Because the fact is, the majority of a typical outpatient office visit is spent in information exchange between the patient and the office receptionist, a medical assistant or nurse, and eventually between the patient and the doctor. So let's break it down, right? The first thing you do is you get in the car and you waste a bunch of time, maybe half a day off work, driving to the office visit. And stuck in traffic. Stuck in traffic. And by the time you get there, your blood pressure is really high because you're really aggravated and you're running late, right? And your child is screaming in the back seat. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the first thing that you have to do is you have to check in with the receptionist. You have to give your name, maybe your date of birth, your insurance information, and you might even have to fork over some cash for that copay, right? So you do all that, and then you sit down in the waiting room for a varying amount of time. Sometimes, and I'm coughing next to you. Sometimes a very long time. Eventually, you get called by the, the medical assistant or the nurse to come back, who takes a few minutes with you and takes your vital signs, like your blood pressure and um, your pulse rate and things like that, and asks you just a few basic questions about why you're there to see the doctor today. And then you get put into a room, and you wait some more. And maybe if you're in an academic center where they do medical education, you might then be interviewed and examined by a medical student and or a resident or, or some level of doctor in training. Fellow. Yeah. Right. Um, and then eventually, finally, the doctor finally enters the room, reviews all that information that was already collected with you, might ask 
hopefully just a few more pertinent questions. Hopefully they don't just ask you all the same questions over again, which has been known to happen. Uh, they may examine an area of your body if it's relevant. Um, and then ultimately discusses the next steps with you for what is, um, you know, in your best interest for evaluation and treatment. Maybe you need a prescription or a lab test or something along those lines. And in many cases, my experience has been that really the physical exam doesn't take place either. The doctor has reviewed the result of a CT scan or MRI and so forth as those tools are more accurate uh, visualization of what the physical exam used to do, but in some cases the physical exam is needed. So what you're telling me, uh, Dr. Bachner, is the part of an in-person visit uh, that takes with all that burden getting to the doctor's office and waiting and so forth, or going to an emergency room, which is probably uh, more problematic. You have to wait there for uh, hours or urgent care, is really limited to uh, the very few cases or special cases where an exact physical exam of the doctor is needed to put the hands on your belly. And again, in majority of those cases, now the CT scans and MRIs have replaced that process. So many parts that are in, included in this physical uh, visit, in-person visit, don't require really an in-person visit, as you're describing gathering the information about demographic, your chief complaints, uh, the history of why, why you were there. And at the end, you even extended it to what I would call the uh, decision tree analysis, that the doctor or the provider, if it's a nurse practitioner or someone, does in their head to gather the information that has been collected from you through different means uh, and basically assemble those into this uh, decision tree. Uh, again, the chief complaint, the history of present illness, you know, your past medical history, and then come up with a list of uh, differential diagnosis. You may have this or that, and if the decision is made, uh, your doctor, he or she, would recommend a treatment or may add another diagnostic test. But I know for a fact that that decision tree uh, the uh, decision algorithm that is made up in doctor's mind is really the curriculum that is taught in the medical schools and is a known curriculum or a known algorithm that exists across many other parts of the healthcare industry. Uh, the nurses who review the cases, they have access to those algorithms. Uh, at what happens if you come with that chief complaint and with that type of history of present illness and so forth. And the doctor who is seeing you is really one of those people who has access or is knowledgeable, uh, knowledgeable about that algorithm. Um, so it seems that I would be correct to conclude that much of the value adds uh, from an in-person visit uh, as you mentioned, could be easily repeated or transferred to a, a virtual method. Yeah, I would agree with you. It's not, uh, there's no reason to collect the majority of that information in person, um, and we can do a lot of it more effectively in a virtual way. No, I remember uh, when I was younger, uh, when I wanted to make international trips, I would make the travel uh, the trip, go to a travels agency office, w would wait in line until my turn, uh, my time comes in, and then give the information about the travel, where I wanted to go to Europe or where have you, 
what days or uh, times I wanted to go, what kind of seats I prefer, and that person would put that information and issue me a, a physical ticket. Now, it seems that with that transformation of the analog to digital models in uh, travel agency, all that information gathering has been transferred that I get up at 3 a.m. sometimes and make my uh, travel arrangements. Um, so if this coronavirus uh, pandemic has pushed us to realize the values of the virtual uh, models of delivery of care, uh, and as we reviewed their changes that have been forced on providers on the delivery system. What do you think that things will happen post-pandemic that hopefully we'll, we'll see soon? Yeah, I mean, I would suspect that um, some of the more innovative companies that are currently offering virtual care will have the ability to start to expand their offering beyond what they're currently doing, which is mostly what you mentioned in that acute care model, um, to be able to deliver more comprehensive care. And uh, I also think that many of the primary care offices will continue to offer some level of virtual care because I think that this pandemic has opened the eyes of both doctors and patients to the value of virtual care. And I doubt very much that they will be willing to simply give that up once this pandemic is passed. Um, I'm sure that it will depend on some of those changes to the regulations and licensure that you were talking about, but I am confident that we'll see a significant change. So Kelly, it uh, seems that this uh, transformation that we dissected here in today's session could go beyond primary care. I could see in many subspecialities like urology, neurology, rheumatology, and so forth, where a sizable portion of in-person visits are basically for what we call established visits. You just go there to check in with your doctor to review the result of a lab or a, another follow-up test that had to be done uh, either on a regular basis, like the PSA, prostatic specific antigen, or even for a lot of refill medications that the uh, the current system mandates for you to drive to go and get your refill in an in-person visit, those all could be transferred to a virtual uh, method and therefore really reduce the burden even for the specialty care. Would you care to comment on that? Oh, I definitely think that that's, you know, a, a valid statement. And, you know, like like with any change, you'll you'll have some resistance. But I think this pandemic that we're facing has, like I said, opened everybody's eyes to how wasteful a lot of what we do in healthcare is and how we need to have a more efficient way of delivering this care. And I think that virtual is is that efficient way. And I think that we'll, we'll see an expansion of it. I love the word you use, the wasteful. Uh, wasteful of things we do in the healthcare. And probably we would uh, need to spend a few sessions on dissecting that waste and uh, who's paying for that waste. Well, on that note, uh, I'm afraid that's all the time we have for today. I uh, want to thank Dr. Buckner for joining me on today's session. That's my pleasure. I look forward to the next time. And I'm your host, FD. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why Can't We Have It All? Please send me your questions, comments, and the stories about your personal experience with healthcare to info at wcwha.com. Again, that is info at wcwha.com. 
and follow us on Why Can't We Have It All on Facebook and Twitter. To stay updated on upcoming episodes and other updates that we may have for you. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, stay safe and be well. You've been listening to Why Can't We Have It All? The Missing Pieces in Our Healthcare. This podcast is brought to you by Bowtie Medical. Visit us on the web at www.wcwha.com.